Welcome you to the last 2020 edition of Meet Me at Mutual. I'm your host, Dean Shoptoff, C70 at the bat at C70. Uh, on the Twitters with me, always Alan Medlock from Red Dirt Redbird, a Medlock one on Twitter. But joining us also today is uh, Jason Hill from Viva Albertos. You'll find him at JP underscore cards on Twitter. Uh, Jason, glad to have you today. Great to be here, guys. It's uh, it's nice to you know finally get in here, and it's been a long time since Alan and I have <laughs> graced the airwaves, if you want to put it that way. Most people wouldn't, um, but uh, it's nice to get in here at the last of 2020 and maybe take a little bit of a look back at the year, um, even and then um, look at what's going on right now. And Alan, if we want to look at what's going on right now, it's it's kind of really easy. It, there's nothing going on right now. Um, the Cardinals have been very quiet. Um, but at least they're not trading people away like most of the rest of Central. Is that the only positive we can take out of this? Yeah, I think so. It's, uh, you know, we would probably have forgotten about baseball and kind of focused more on what we were going to eat for New Year's and all that if it wasn't for uh, A.J. Proler, you know, lighting mm-hmm. that, lighting some fires and, you know, in Rizzo in Washington. I mean, think about it. Josh Bell moves, moves out of the Central is a big bat didn't have the year that he wanted to and man he's he's second page news now you know compared to what's going on in san diego so i like the baseball talk um it's it's of course and we, we talk about it all the time on here but uh but yeah i was glad that something started it and i these are usually unofficially kind of a two-week break for baseball that they're, they're just not adhering to this year they're uh it kind of moving and it makes you long for a Cardinals move as a Cardinals fan, but you know, now nah, I'm not, I'm not super optimistic that that will happen anytime soon. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Jason, you know, you, we've looked at things like the last few years, the Cardinals have been quiet anyway. We knew this off season was going to be frigid for many people. And it, except for those few teams like Alan was talking about, it seems to have been, do we see the Cardinals actually take advantage of this at some point in time? Or is, are we just going to probably ride this into like February and, get some non-roster invitees to spring training and call it a day? Well, that's an interesting question. Um, I, I had a, a intriguing interaction with Jeff Jones uh, on Twitter the other day where, where basically I was proposing that the Cardinals might do kind of what you're saying, that as, as the winter progresses, we get closer to January, that uh, they might take advantage of, of a, a cold market and be able to pick up one of these non-tenders or – DFA is one of these sort of second tier talents um, on what would be a reasonable deal. If you think about someone like Eddie Rosario, getting him for one year and 
oh, seven or eight million would be a huge discount compared to most seasons. And I'll tell you what, uh, Jeff just absolutely shot me down and was like, you know, do not expect this, this is not going to happen. He, he, he told me, um, and I quote here, stop believing. Uh, so <laughs> that, that, uh, that, that, um, you know, threw a little cold water on my optimism. I'll be honest. Yeah. He, I, I saw that interaction and it's yeah. funny because, uh, really early right away in the off season, even before the Wong decision was made, I was, uh, asking him some questions offline about, uh, you know, what can you see happening? Is there going to be a lot of movement? He said, the only movement you're going to see is how close Molina wants to 5 million as opposed to 15. Yeah. He said that will be the biggest thing. And I was like, wow. You know, so, yeah, I just like you, I'm thinking they're going to make a value play for uh, something here soon or bring in one of those bats that are out there. But yeah, you hear that and you're thinking, man, it's, uh, we're going to play, see a lot of Carpenter at third base. Yeah. And it kind of makes, I mean, it doesn't make sense to me, but it does make sense. They, they love Colton Wong. It, it's not like they had problems with Colton Wong. They, they love, they love Colton. And they cut him over one year and eleven and a half million. Yeah. That that to me, I mean, I, as much as I don't want to admit it, that to me is a sign that the club at least has a mandate from ownership or financial constraints to where they really just don't have anything they want to spend. I, I don't want to say that they don't have money to spend. They they might or they might not. I don't know, but I, they don't have money that they want to spend, and I think they're wanting to reserve every possible dollar available for potentially Molina and Wainwright or one of those two returning. It, it does seem to be that that's their only focus, but on the, you know, on the flip side of that too, at least from our point of view, again, we just, all we can know is what, well, what Benji Molina tells us, I guess. Um, <laughs> but um, it doesn't sound like the Cardinals have been, as active with either one of those guys as maybe we would think if that's your only focus of the off season. Cause I mean, if the Cardinals could come out and say, okay, we signed Yachty, we signed Wainwright. I'm not saying that people would be just as you know happy about it, but at least they would say, okay, well, at least we have this. At least we have a chance for 2021, assuming people can get in the stands. We'll get into that a little bit um, to have another chance to see these guys and to, you know, express appreciation and stuff like that. There's at least, something to go to you know if the cardinals don't sign anybody and they don't sign those guys i mean it's a really hard sell to put people in the stands next year isn't it alan go ahead i'll let you go first no yeah it's so it and that's a great point i i had wondered about that about uh how bringing back i'll, I'll point out the outfield which i which i think is going to be I don't know how much they're going to be able to change unless they shock us with a deal. But uh, how we heard from day one of they just can't bring the same outfield back. You know, it's just, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's proven not to work. When are they going to dedicate time? I'm completely convinced they're going to do that now. And they almost have to. And I cannot understand some of the, can understand some of the argument in playing the, you know, 58 game card. You know, I, I, mm-hmm. I, I completely get it. Um, on, I, it's tough. It is tough to justify, you know, the season ticket sales when it doesn't look like the team's improving and they're going to have a pretty hard sales job to do that if they don't make any moves at all. I mean, I would think to where I kind of felt like Jeff was saying it's Molina Wainwright or nothing. 
I don't know if I believe that. I would I would think there would be some kind of upgrade, and it it's probably going to be on that on the uh, the non roster heap. You know the uh, the guys that were not tendered. Uh, that's kind of the direction we're going to go. I've kind of thought from the beginning they may find a bat somewhere and it may be a veteran bat, maybe somebody we'd seen before like Jericho. So I don't know if that moves the needle as as well as far as um, fan fan enthusiasm. But I'm not certain that it, it, it's that we've moved from that spot to any more from the beginning of the off season to where we are now. But I don't know. I also kind of not to ride the fence on this. I don't know if anybody in the league has. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, I also just wonder too. I mean, right now, I guess we MLB and teams have been told to assume that there won't be a DH next year, but I, I believe that when I see it, it seems like both the players association and the owners, they want the DH in there. Uh, there's going to have to be, I'm assuming, some kind of labor negotiation when the season starts because they're almost certainly not going to start with full stands in every stadium throughout the league. Uh, probably with no stadiums, uh, we'll have full fans at, at you know April 1st. So it, to me, at least, the Cardinals are looking at a scenario where they're told to assume no DH, but at the same time, they almost kind of have to assume there will be a DH and at that point, I mean, who's going to play DH? Ed, Edmundo Sosa, you know? Um, I, at that point, you're looking, I, again, it, it's almost like they're going to have to sign somebody, surely, yeah. to really fill out the roster in a way that makes some kind of logical sense. Otherwise, they're going to have to admit that they are maybe not rebuilding, but at least retooling for a, for a season, which is something they've not wanted to admit for a long time. But if there's a year to do it... <laughs> This okay. may be the year because I'm not yeah. saying it's a bad idea. I'm just saying it's it's going to be hard to convince the ticket, you know, oh, the, sure. the ticket owners to buy tickets when they know that that this is what they're going to see. Sure, but this is also a year where you could retool and still win the division. Um, you could. You could. And it's possible that you know, again, if you're talking, I guess best case scenario probably for the Cardinals is that. You know, they are in contention, even with this, you know, stripped down roster, if you will. Um, and as the stands, as Alan and I were talking before the show, we're kind of thinking, you know, June, July, um, maybe everything's kind of more back to normal that by the time school starts, um, that things will have a lot less restrictions. If you're looking at the idea that maybe stadiums could be full for the second half of the season, um, when you're actually in contention, by the time you get a chance to put people in the stands, they'll actually want to come because the Cardinals are winning games or at least winning more games than everybody else in the NL Central, which may not be saying much. Um, I, I mean, I think that's a very <laughs> dangerous way to go about things, um, but it could work out for the Cardinals because, yeah, right now, and I guess that's really what it boils down to right now, isn't it? It's the Cardinals as a very conservative club, as a very people that have been conservative with their money for a long, long time, um, not having any idea of what next year is going to look like has to be terrifying for them. And they're just kind of, it's almost a little bit like deer in the headlights as they were not going to risk anything because we don't know what to risk. Yeah, that's, it's, it's funny. I wonder how much of the attendance factors, and this kind of changes the, the trajectory of the conversation a little bit, but, you know, I, I seem to think that 
140 to 154, maybe the, the range that we're thinking of in games here. I, I would love to do the 162. I, I just feel like that's going to get pushed back a little bit. Yeah. Kind of my reason in thinking that is I think they're going to probably how they're going to have to separate the spring training situations where they're going to have to do a big league type and a minor league type, and they're going to have to do those in, in, in waves about how they get those in. And another thing is California is not ready for fans yet. And I think that that's going to set the precedent on when fans are going to be available kind of everywhere. You know, I think that they're going to drive the, drive the train as far as, you know, LA can't get anybody in. We can't let, you know, 25, thousand in dallas at this point you know i think that may be in the mindset a little bit so i i everything is so fluid but i still think that the expectations are that that they're going to reach spring sometime around march i hope you know i don't know if that answers the question that that even it works into the conversation at all but that was the first thing that came to mind when we were talking about fans in the stands yeah and i mean i think that's an idea but then yeah, I don't know. I mean, the flip part of this is, okay, I think originally the idea was, okay, we'll kick back opening day till May because every, more people have the vaccine and everything like that. But then there's been, you know, kind of a slowdown. They're not going to hit their targets for the end of December. Does that push everything else back? And if you're going to be pushing back anyway, do you really want to push back till June or do you start at your normal time and just realize that, you know, you're going to have... limited limited to no capacity you know again there's so many variables that they have to try to figure out that i have not i'm not surprised a little bit that they're waiting to figure out which variable they can actually lock down and then go from there um i mean jason where are you where are you at on all that well and i think too i wonder how much the the loss of revenue and i always try to emphasize lost revenue because i i just can't speak to how much they actually lost in in the red versus in the black but we know they lost a ton of revenue from ticket sales those mm-hmm. millions of dollars they they didn't get regardless of any other expenses and incomes but but it, considering the fact that all of major league baseball took a substantial financial hit last season just to play the number of games that they did play are they going to be willing to take another hit even for a short period of time like we talk about starting in april where there might not be fans or pushing that back my my thought is that the league is one going to want to save as much money as they possibly can mm-hmm. so i can easily see them pushing back the start of the season until they know that they have whatever baseline number of mm-hmm. fans that they need mm-hmm. for revenue that season whether that's 25% 50% doesn't make much sense to have 75% capacity at that much at that point you might as well have you yeah. know, full stadiums, right. But, right. Um, but something like that, because I, I think money is in the end what what matters here. Yeah, I think that's a safe, fairly safe assumption that <laughs> right. uh, they're not too concerned about the the product or uh, or what the fans are wanting. It's and I mean there is a safety aspect to it, but yeah, yeah, the the money kind of is a big deal. Um, I how how contentious is it going to be this year? I mean, we saw last year when the owners and the players in the middle of the raging pandemic with no end in sight um, came within a hair's breadth of not having a season at all. Um, does it get better this year? Are they more likely to come to agreement because they've done that? They've seen what 2020 was like. We know what the vaccines are, are coming. Or is it a things are getting better so we can hold out for more type of situation. Is it going to be 
is it going to be smooth sailing to get us to a 2021 season? Because like you said, Jason, it sounds we're going to have to have some sort of negotiations before that starts. Yeah. Um, I think both sides are lining up to sort of stake out their territory for the coming CBA agreement. And, and just as the owners, you know, they took a hit last year. I don't see them wanting to take a hit um, this year. If the players give up another round of, of contracts and make more concessions and give up more money, you know, I just, I just don't see them willing to do that without a major fight. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, part of, I hate to say it, but part of me thinks that this is going to be worse than last year and it was bad last year. No, I, and I agree with that. That's, that's where I was going to go. I mean, I, I think you can look no further than the designated hitter to see that, that, that it's going to be bad. Um, a, a thing that both sides want, but neither side wants to give up as a negotiating tool. Right. Probably says it all. <laughs> right. It's something to where a, you're going to build a job, you know, for somebody and it's just not, you know, they can't even agree on that at this point. Um, now I know there's probably some behind the scenes things that I just simply don't know why they can't do it. Um, I, it, I, it would surprise me that it's something that, that detailed that they can't announce that now, you know, in a situation where in the global job market's terrible, you're creating a job, you're creating revenue. It looks pretty good when you do it, but no one is going to budge. I mean, that, that says it all. The, uh, I hope that they get started and have a full season because the way that it went looked last year to where it was a, Hey, people are hurting. Let's swallow our pride. Let's just do this thing. That was the furthest thing from the truth of how they handled it. Mm-hmm. And I'm not certain that that's going to change to do a season of 21. I mean, that, that, which worries me that are we going to get to August and the players are going to walk out? <laughs> you know, that's, that's similar to 94. I hope that's not the case. Yeah. I mean, with the fact that, you know, we've kind of put to the side this idea but the CBA it expires at the end of next year, right? Um, and that was what happened the last time. You know, we had labor construct. It was the strike of 94. So, um, yeah, it's like we're kind of fighting these battles, you know, skirmishes before the big battle. But uh, they get bigger and bigger as we get closer and closer. It, it's, you know, it, there's not a, a guarantee we're going to see uh, anything resembling that. I, I would... I mean, I guess one good thing is it hasn't, they haven't been fighting each other in the, in the press like they were um, last year, but I think that's just more of a factor of they don't know what to fight about just yet because they don't know what the situation is. Um, it's uh, it's not really a hopeful scenario going into next season. That we're gonna <laughs> yeah. see a, a full season. And, and again, we didn't see a full season last year. We won't see a full season in 2021. And if this holds up, might not see one in 2022. We may forget what 162 games is like. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. So, um, it was a report yesterday that the Cardinals are at least still, um, in touch with Colton Wong. Um, I saw, I don't remember Jim Hayes, I think said basically, uh, also that, you know, Colton is open to returning, but it also sounded like, um, the fact that they didn't pick up the option, hurt them a little bit in that, in that scenario. Um, is there, is there a situation? It doesn't seem like there's a situation where they can get Wong, Wainwright and Molina, but is there one that if Yachty signs somewhere else, they turn around and come back to Colton, um, with some of the money they're not going to have to spend for Yachty. I think so. 
Um, I, and I can't confirm these. It's been a little bit confusing, but it seems like when just before um, the Cardinals declined Wong's option, there was some talk from, I think, Derek Gould and maybe some others about them attempting to renegotiate that option into a two-year deal that spread the money out. And, and I, I can see why Wong would, would reject that and, and enter free agency because it would basically be two years of less money instead of you know, one at a certain amount. Um, but, but that does indicate to me that if they were willing to do that then, that they would still be willing to potentially explore that now. Now, how, how that ties in with Molina or Wainwright, I'm not, I'm not sure. But you know, there's just not really any reason to think that the Cardinals don't like Wong and wouldn't think he's a good fit if they can get him for the right price. It's hard to find that level of production at second base out there on the market. So Wong's a known commodity. Um, and I could see them circling back to him if the money's there. Yeah, especially uh, especially how they've uh, they built the organization on pitching and defense. I mean, they're right. they're gonna they're gonna. I would say they were probably the favorites in the division before the Cubs moves. So it didn't, it didn't change my opinion at all. But just because they had shown that they can develop pitching and they're gonna they're gonna pitch. They're they, you know you pitch you win and you're gonna be in the middle of it. And you think that if, hey, if you're not going to go pay these these market, may even below market values right now for a bat, you you should probably stay pretty uh, strong in your strengths with those two. Um, I wonder at a lot of these reports, though, if he hasn't found an 11 to 12 million dollar deal yet. And, you, you know, if you wonder if those things play a part now, I'm just like Molina, I think. Real Milto and uh, LeMahieu are going to play both into those markets quite a bit just to see because when those guys sign, then there's going to be a lot of activity. And then, then teams are going to be afraid that they're going to be left high and dry. That may change the trajectory of that, uh, of the Wong deal. But, but who's going to sign those guys? I mean, that's what I keep. I was talking with Ben Cerruti, I think, the other day about this. Who's going to sign those guys? If the Cubs are dropping payroll as crazy as they are, the Cardinals aren't interested. I, I mean, it sounds crazy, but I'm I'm starting to imagine a scenario where where Bauer and 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 the catcher you just mentioned I can't think of his name right now. Real Muto, yeah, 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 right, right. <laughs> where yeah. Lemayhu. These are great players, but they also are going to demand serious money. Sure, sure. And you know, they, who's going to spend that money right now? Well, and that's that's Audrey. a great question. Yeah, yeah, the uh, yeah, right. Yeah, I mean, I, that's, there's the reason why everyone's why, why the Padres have signed everyone because no one else is. Well, and you know, and I think to that point, I honestly, I think New York, the Yankees haven't signed LeMahieu because they don't want to uh, compete with themselves because no one else is going to be able to afford him. That's a great you know, point too. Yeah. I've always that's why I felt I thought he's going back and that makes the most sense for them. Yeah, I on the Bauer deal, I feel like he's going to California, and <laughs> Daniel hears me say this all the time. Marino will spend st- stupid money, even whether they have it or not. And I feel like Bauer heads out west. Yeah, uh, yeah. but y- you know, you're right. I mean, about Real Muto, you you never really know because I kind of thought that may be a Philadelphia situation. But if they can't afford to pay, right. you know, that's that just below second tier of money. I don't know who has any. You're, that's a great point. Right, and that's where you love the Cardinals to circle back. You know, if, yeah. if, if Bauer is sitting there at the first of February and he's looking for a one year bridge deal, my gosh. Yeah, jump on that. You know, I mean, that that's level of production you're not going to get anywhere else. Sure, and we're not, certainly not going to get from you know Quang Young Kim or or Miklas or even you know Liberatore if he came up and 
<laughs> you know, early and was ready, he's still not going to be Trevor Bauer. Yeah. Well, and I mean, that's, you know, Bauer's a guy that has talked about maximizing his, you know, his income by doing one-year deals and things like that. Yeah. So it's not right. that he's necessarily going to hold out for that five-year um, thing if if it doesn't look like it's coming. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a fascinating point because you're right. They're, you know, the Mets look like they might, but then they went ahead and got a catcher. So, you know, that kind of shut down Real Muto and actually hadn't heard his name in quite some time, it feels like, because... That's quiet, yeah. Yeah, and I mean, part of that's the time of year, but I don't know. It's really, you know, December has, you know, January is the new December, I guess, to some degree, or maybe February is the new December for baseball moves, except for those, you know, that one week that's always active, and that's what we saw this last week, but I don't know. Has there been enough reporting to make you think that Mo wasn't so novel with that saying? Because I've read some other papers and things that have said that uh, a lot of teams expect a ruling on the designated hitter in the 1st of January and how some things are going to start loosening up. And I just wonder if there's some, I wouldn't say a mandate. I just wonder if there's some collective thought that, that things may get announced, you know, here right after the holidays. I, maybe, um, I feel like there's probably, you know, Mo goes to the same zoom education or whatever that everybody else is going to now. I'm sure there's, you know, some talking points that are out there. Um, you know, I just, I gotta feel like for me, it's always, if you don't do it before December, so you can get your fans excited and maybe buy some merchandise for Christmas, then it feels like it's really almost, you know, you might as well wait till February and get sure. them right before they go into spring training. Yeah. And, and the Cardinals are good at that. I mean, yeah. they've shown that they can do that. Yeah. And I, and I think a lot of other teams are going to do that as well. And, you know, I mean, you know, what was it last? It was last year. Was it right as spring training started that they signed Brad Miller? Um, yeah, it was. You know, yeah. I mean, you don't usually find your cleanup hitter um, yeah. <laughs> for spring training, but uh I, I guess, you know, it can think stranger things can happen. So I, I yeah, it's, it, it was not a year, you know, honestly, we talk a lot about the Cubs manipulating Chris Bryant's service time. Um, and it's very ironic to see them, you know, that, la- that extra year they bought of Chris Bryant, they're using it to sell off and it really doesn't matter. And they probably wish they hadn't. So he would have been a free agent Yeah, but for him. It, it worked out because, he wouldn't, I mean, you would not want to be a free agent in this market. You'd much rather be a free agent next year. So I think, you know, to some degree, the, the Cubs shot themselves in the foot and it worked out for Chris Bryant. Yeah. You know what? Yeah, I, I was thinking about this whenever we were just through the news and everything that was, that was breaking down this week. I honestly, up until the non-tender day, kind of felt like Bryant would, was, it was a strong candidate and was under strong consideration. And the Cubs didn't do it to save face on that one. But mm-hmm. uh, you do wonder, I mean, I kind of link the Bryant situation up to kind of an Arenado deal. I don't know see any world right now where Arenado can opt out and feel like no. he's going to get that type of money. No, and it's just a, that it just completely changes the way that you look at those two players. Um, it, it's you could even throw Lindor in that. They're not going to get the return on those guys just because. I mean, you see what Darvish brought back, and that was that essentially a cash dump. You know they the Cubs are in a tough spot for picking up that 18 because they're not going to move it for anything substantial. So, and that may not be their plan after looking at the Darvish deal, but, uh, but I don't know. I thought, you know what? I know that it may have been a a situation if you're going to move those pieces to a might as well not pick up that it's going to be hit that his, uh, his, uh, 
the you know, 10 to him, a contract is going to be between 18 and 20. They could have avoided that altogether, but you, you look pretty bad in that situation. Yeah. Well, teams look pretty bad all the way around. It seems like, uh, I don't think they care anymore. Yeah. No. That's, I, that's, I, it, it, that's cool. It kind of surprises me that they did. I did bring him back. Yeah. yeah especially you know, what they've done now. I, it is, it is kind of fair to question what their, what their thought process is. If they're trading Darvish, um, and keeping Brian, I mean, maybe there's a baseline of, of finances they're trying to get to, or maybe they just wanted to make sure they got something in return from Bryant and mm-hmm. he could still be on the trade or, or they could move and trade other, like Contreras has been mentioned as a possible yeah. trade can. They might just shift uh, money around to try to keep Bryant in house, but, uh, it kind of seems to me like they would keep their, their ace pitcher and their catcher. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Rather than, yeah. Rather than you know, rather than Bryant, but um, but who knows what the Cubs are actually doing? Yeah, yeah. It's funny. We, I mean, I was looking at it the night the trade was made, and I was like, man, what's their motivation on this? And a lot of it to me says that uh, they just couldn't get anybody to take Hayward's contract, so they had to get get out from under that obligation some way. Right, right. And I've wondered if there isn't something there with the Cardinals. Like, I, I hate to even mention this because because of obvious reasons here, but, but you mentioned Arenado. Well, the, the line on Arenado is always been going to be that the return is way too much for the risk that he's going to opt out. Well, mm-hmm. now you look right. at what's happening and boy, the, the Rockies would be lucky to get any kind of talent. Oh man. It's you know, crazy. Yeah. Yeah. But then a team like the Cardinals would have to be willing to add 35 million in payroll. Yeah. Which, yeah. you know, the fact that they've said they were more dependent on attendance than anybody else was, or most teams were kind yeah. of throws a wrench there. Yeah. I mean, of course, you know, with Nolan, if, if there's an idea that I may not get as much money, but I can go someplace where I can actually win. Um, you know, yeah. that's the only reason he opts out. Um, because I mean, it's not like, I mean, when you look at what the Dodgers and the Padres are doing, you can't expect the Rockies to win in the next five years probably right um so if he wants to win and he's always expressed that you know maybe he opts out anyway but if you trade him to someplace like st louis then he probably doesn't because he gets his money and he gets to yeah i just not to be a thorn in everybody's side on this i just can't even in the best time see the cardinals paying anybody 30 30 a year i just can't see it i i i don't know maybe maybe they're where they are because of that i i just i don't know even in the best of times i can't see it and even if things change in you know 10 to 15 years it would shock me yeah. and that's including flarity when it comes time yeah i i agree with you uh, first let me just say first of all i completely agree with you but <laughs> but <laughs> um you know they have their payroll is is so low now where i think they're down if we just talk opening day i think they're down in the 125 range. Mm-hmm. And and just for context, last year opening day, if they would have had a 162 game season with no prorated deals, they would have been in the 170 range. So so you're talking about a $45 million drop already this offseason with some arbitration contracts to come. But but that's not a lot of money added in that. And then it drops pretty substantially again going into next year. Uh, and I, you know, I haven't looked as much in next year, but right now I think they're at right around a hundred million in guaranteed payroll for next year. And so, if if stands are or fans are in the stands and things are somewhat back to normal, you are looking at a club that could add, you know, as much as 
70 or 80 million dollars in payroll and potentially move some other contracts around so at that point Aaron Otto he kind of fits but again you know like you said uh, I, I I agree that it's just not likely that they're going to add that much um in one player especially one player who is aging yeah yeah and that's it's funny a lot of that comes from you know I should probably let this go but the reaction that DeWitt gave um I can't remember who it was when they asked about paying Albert 30 a year and he scoffed at it immediately. And I was like, well, if you can't pay for, you know, 30 a year for a few more years of Pujols instead of him opting to go, you're not going to pay 10, but you could do it. I was like, if they couldn't do it, or if he wouldn't get it, no one's going to. What's Goldschmidt at right now? Is he at 25? I think he's 25. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. Pull up that, um, pull up roster resource over at fan graphs. Um, and I don't know which is more valuable. Let's, let's, but let's look at the luxury tax one, because that's probably the one that they look at the most anyway. And yeah, for 2021, it's at 146. Um, but at 2022, it's at 65. Um, yeah. You know, yeah. there is a lot coming off with Dexter Fowler, with most likely Matt Carpenter. Um, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of money that's, that's coming out there. So um yeah, I, it's, it is one of those things that if they want to take the hit this year, they could absorb it going forward. But the odds are they don't want to take that hit again this year. Now, let's talk about a, a move real quick that wound up, I think, a bit backfiring on the Cardinals. I don't think they expected this. You know, they non-tendered John Brebbia, um in part because he's going to have Tommy John surgery or has had Tommy John surgery. And the idea was that he wouldn't be back until at least some point in time next year. And they needed the spot on the 40 man. Um, I think the idea was that they would sign him to a minor league deal, let him rehab and, and keep him in the organization. But instead he signed a major league contract with the giants. Um, and it sounds like he might be back June ish or so. Um that I mean, it's not a big deal because the Cardinals have a lot of arms, but it's still, man, that just feels like a, a situation that that didn't work out the way they wanted it to. I mean, Jason, does that make sense? Yeah, I, I think it was a risk they were willing to take because of their young arms. Um, I like Brebbia a lot as a pitcher. I like him even more as a person. He's he's a character. Uh, he he was a fun Cardinal. Um, but I'll I'll be honest. I'll be really surprised if someone like Cody Whitley uh, or Seth Elledge can't can't fill that spot. And they really do need the roster space. If well, well, I say that they do need the roster space if they are going to make an acquisition or two, which we hope <laughs> they do, and they need to. If they don't do that, then yeah, they should have kept Rebia because at at worst case scenario, you have one of the most reliable relievers on the club in-house for another season and you're going to need reliable players because there's going to be a lot of question marks almost everywhere throughout the team yeah and it was a guy that would have been you know cheap as well yeah which is you know a selling point um yeah i it just i was really very surprised to see him go to the giants um alan what about you it was it was surprising. I, I thought the same thing. I was like, well, they were kind of banking on that, and that made and I felt like that was the guy they were bringing back. But for the point that Jason made, it is it's not like they they're not going to have sufficient arms out there, but they're going to need reliable because none of these starters are going to crank back up 
to 200 innings. I mean, yeah, it's, yeah. it's going to be, it's going to be crazy. And you're going to see a lot of six man type rotation roll through. I think you're going to see a lot of pitching that was similar this year. That was similar to the seven inning double hitters last year, where you're going to see a lot of spot starts. You're going to see a lot of the opener types and things like that. And, you know, Brevia would have been huge in that situation you because you won. That's a, it's that it, you could rely on that. Yeah. And I didn't yeah. think there was really much, much question that they weren't going to bring Gant back. He was kind of in that in that borderline non-tender where mm-hmm. if, if Gant would have gotten non-tendered, it would have been a real bad sign that the Cardinals were in serious financial trouble. Yeah. He didn't. He got tendered, and they went ahead and signed him too. So his arbitration is done. I can't remember the amount, but it was a reasonable amount. One point three, a bit more than what what um, MLB trade rumors projected Gant would get. So that to me was a little bit of an optimistic sign that not only were they willing to pay Gant and bring Gant back, but they were willing to give him more than he was projected to get. So, oh, but yeah, he but made a guy like Gant who could go one million if, if for this year, which is over his one point three from the year before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I think you're looking at someone like Gant can give you multiple innings in the scenario you're talking about. Whereas Brebia was, he's not really mm-hmm. a right-handed specialist, but he wasn't going to go out there and give you an inning and a half or two innings. Sure, and in a situation like the seven inning doubleheaders and extending the. Uh, uh, extending your starters a little bit more as far as numbers wise, Gant could fit that role pretty easy. Yeah, yeah, he could. Yeah, yeah, but Allen's always a Gant guy. So, uh, <laughs> uh, all right. Well, again, we're kind of just in that holding pattern, and you know, hopefully, the Cardinals will at least, if if, they're, if that's all they're going to do, uh, sign up Yachty and and Wainwright soon, so at least we know what this looks like. Um, as much as we can. Um, and then hopefully things will be better in 21 and we can, you know, start looking toward opening day pretty soon. Um, before we do that though, let's look a little bit back at 2020. Um, we mentioned it, I think last show, but it's been a while. Uh, the card, the bloggers for 12 or 13 years now have typically done their Cardinal blogger awards at the end of the year. Um, but didn't do them this year because I got lazy and didn't get around to organizing it, but also because you know, over the years, the, the blogging group has kind of dwindled a bit, at least for active bloggers. But we're going to go through what normally we would have done uh, with Alan and Jason here. Um, I I don't feel like there's going to be a whole lot of controversy on any of these, so we may not uh, hit them very hard. But um, Well, we can create controversy, Daniel. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You just give me a chance and we'll do it. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, this is, the <laughs> well, uh, you know, we'll see how it goes. If we get too boring. Maybe we'll just say, all right, devil's advocate here. Yeah. Um, the first, uh, our first one typically has been player of the year. That would be your MVP of the Cardinals, um, on the offensive side or offense and defense. Any, anybody that's not a pitcher, um, Jason, you're the guest. Um, where do you, where do you go with that? Well, that one does seem pretty pretty straightforward to me it's got to be paul goldschmidt if we're talking Mm -hmm. offense and defense he provided both by far the most productive cardinal um had had a terrific bounce back season from what had to have been a little bit of a disappointing you know first go in st louis um after the trade to come over here but yeah just just all around productive um an incredible on base percentage hit over 300 played great defense over at first base which as we've already said vital for this pitching staff and was everything that the Cardinals hoped he would be. 
Yeah, completely agree. And that is uh, the, my biggest takeaway from the, the, our, my biggest, the, the frustration in the COVID season that that's highest for me is the fact that we lost the season of its prime to sit to 58 games. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Especially after the bounce back to where you're thinking, Oh man, you know, the new surroundings, he wasn't, his numbers were great, but he wasn't, who I think there were some some parts of the fan base that were disappointed. We missed out on 162 games of a superstar, and it stinks. You know when he's in his 30s. That was I would that was my biggest frustration with the COVID season. Yeah, if you if you project his stats out over a full season, there's a decent chance that Goldschmidt would have had the most productive season from a Cardinal since Matt Carpenter had like a seven war season. Yeah, you know, I mean that, and that's just crazy. I mean, he would have been a real MVP candidate, uh, but it's just you know didn't happen. Yeah, and I think that kind of goes back to what we were discussing earlier because people look at that. You know, they don't think much about that goal commit contract because first impression was he did get off to a bit of a slow start. He was good, but not great. And then this year, when he was really back to the level that he normally is, it was in 60 games. And so it doesn't have the same impact as a full season does. So, um, yeah, I don't I don't think there's any doubt that Goldschmidt was the best player. Alan, who was the best pitcher for the Cardinals? I, You know, it's... Uh... It kind of runs with who may be the best newcomer, but I thought Kim was the bit was I thought the Kim acquisition turned out to be huge, and I was not the biggest fan of the move when they made it, but uh, he was stable, and uh, they probably don't get to the point where they were if he doesn't have a strong bounce back from the COVID situation. So I'm going to go with KK Kim, Jason. Well, um, I. I- I was going to, I, I kind of assumed you'd go with Wainwright. So I was going to go Kim, uh, but, but I think, I think especially because I, I do think that Kim has to be acknowledged in this conversation because he was an unknown coming over from, from Korea. There were solid projections for him. And, and so I was, I was pretty big on the, on the deal when it was made. Um, but you know what Wainwright did sure. uh, is just, you know, pitching the most starts on the team, 65 innings, which is, was a lot for, this past season, cutting his walk rate down to two walks per. I mean, he was pitching like like prime Wainwright at an age where he should not have been able to to do that. And yeah, small sample size. I don't. I'm not very comfortable projecting what he did over a small sample size. You know, in 2021 for a whole season, but but he came through. He was huge, and and then some of those special moments with him as well just really put the icing on the on the cake for me with Wayne right this year. I uh, I would have probably gone with with Kim, and I agree with Wayne Wright. Yeah, it's well, tough. I mean, it was neck and neck. I will throw in I, again. I don't think he necessarily wins this thing, but maybe just as, as Jason was saying a minute ago, a person to be mentioned in the conversation. We don't think as much about Dakota Hudson. Yeah, um, yeah he was yeah. he was really good. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I expected. You know, we knew he'd had a pretty good year last year, but he had overperformed his peripherals, and it kind of felt like the league was going to catch up with him and, and all that. He adjusted enough. I, you know, I'm still not saying he's going to be a top of a rotation kind of guy, but he did the it, until he got hurt. He was a one of the more reliable arms that were out there. So. Again, I don't know that I, I would put him over either one of those other two, but he definitely gets acknowledged in that. Mm-hmm. Um, 
game of the year is one I always find hard to uh, do in the past. You know, I have to, if, you know, it's like at the time, it's like, oh yeah, that's a great game. That's a great game. And yeah. then at the, end of the season, you're like, wait a minute. What was, so I understand if maybe kind of off the top of your head, uh, this may be difficult, but Jason, is there a game that stands out for you this year? Um, there's, there's two that come to mind, um, for me, and I wish I, I, we got to listen to this game, which is something actually of a treat for me because we usually watch most of the games and while I love Dan and the the TV broadcast, boy, it's nice to go back to the radio every now and then. But, but we, I listened to the Wainwright complete game, um, driving back from, from a trip and man, that game was just spectacular to see Wainwright, um, you know, finish things out. I think it was on his birthday. Right. And, and yeah. then see Wainwright and Molina <laughs> there on the mound at the, at the end of that game. Um, that, that to me was, was the, the moment I, I, there was also an early season series in the midst of COVID against Chicago when, and I think it was a seven inning doubleheader when Brad Miller went off and, mm-hmm. and yeah. that, that stands out to me too, as it would be number two on my list. Um, Alan, yeah, that those doubleheaders were it were crazy. They were they were fun, yeah. and I remember that one vividly. That yeah. that with with Miller. Now I I not to <laughs> my memory isn't what it used to be. Now was the Wainwright game back? Was that in Chicago or was that in Cleveland? Um, it was it was against Cleveland, wasn't it? Was yeah. it at Bush? It was in Bush. The, okay, uh, okay, I couldn't the, remember. It was Cleveland though? Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah, the uh, game was. Yeah, it was. In yeah, I, that's not, not to like I said, not to change the topic or anything, and maybe not. But I, that's the one thing I liked about kind of the scheduling this year is uh, you get to see some of those teams, you know, home yeah. and yeah, in a way, or potentially is what you could have seen. But yeah, I don't know if you can go wrong with those two games anyway. Uh, the Cubs series were were fun. I hated that they never came to St. Louis. But yeah. Uh, but yeah, those two stand out the most, and you know the Carlson Sunday afternoon homer meant a lot. Yes, that, know, that's that uh, heard. Yeah, uh-huh. so those are optimistic. That those were awesome. Yeah, the, the Wainwright game is the one that would have come to mind to me, not only because of the complete game and his birthday, but everything around it. You know, the team had been destroyed the last two diets. Um, you know, they, well, I think it was the day after the 16 something, the four game or two days after at least they, yeah, I guess it was, it was two games because the Friday game was that blowout. And then Saturday was an extra inning game that had been the whole high scoring for both sides. So there was nobody really to support him. And he, you know, like I said the story around it, the fact that he went out there and said, told the team beforehand i've got you i'm going to do this and i'm going to stay out there you know <laughs> give up 10 runs i'm going to stay out there as long as I can and to, to then have a, a wainwright game um and then it to be so 2020 like you said with the yachty and and coming out to the mound and then them stopping to put their masks on before <laughs> they could hug um yeah that's the one that that stood out the most so there were others you write the brad miller game and then dylan carlson and and other moments um that that were great, but um, I think that's the one that, that kind of stands out the most. Um, Alan, you got a, a pick for rookie of the year for the Cardinals. Yeah, mine's pretty easy, and that's Kim. I felt like he was the uh, I would say newcomer of the year because it's tough calling those guys a rookies. But I I just thought maybe because he my expectations were low. And uh, I just felt he was vital. He and Wainwright were just vital to the ball club. Jason? 
Yeah, I, Kim, I think it's the right choice there. Um, I think um, I was I was really surprised with what I saw out of Johan Oviedo. I had mm-hmm. low expectations. Yes. Um, and it, even though he didn't really perform all that well, somehow he still managed to to exceed my expectations, especially in a couple of the outings. He was exposed a little bit, but but Oviedo was was ended up being an important part of the that that vital part of the season. Um, and then you know I, I always like to mention Carlson. He had a disappointing season, but I've got an article coming out about him today that kind of digs into what happened. But after he came back. When, when the league was just throwing him change up after change up and he was a 21 year old lost, you know, um, he came back, made the necessary adjustments, shown what a lot of scouts have said about him, this mature um, ahead of his years approach at the plate and then dominated the league for a, for a couple of weeks leading into the playoffs. And, and that, you know, the Cardinals might not have made the playoffs if Carlson hadn't done yeah. that. And yep. so that, yeah, Kim's my answer, but a little nod there to those last two or three weeks of Carlson where he, he showed the type of prospectability that he actually is. Yeah, I think both of that's, nah, I'm not going to disagree. I told you we're going to all go and be on the same page for the most part. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I agree. I, I, Oviedo always seemed to be the guy that was really, really good for like four of his five innings. It was yeah. just that one inning that always seemed to, to get him and it wasn't always the last inning it was somewhere you know could be somewhere yeah. in the middle he made and that goals. might be what honestly that might be what he is too he just mm-hmm. you know he, he he just is that kind of player yeah um it, it may be and, and maybe he'll develop too i don't know yeah. it was uh it was interesting to see it was interesting to see you know of course obviously a lot of people that we normally wouldn't have seen we got to see at some point in time this year and we saw people well, I mean, like Nabil Krismat, I mean, who uh, wouldn't have never made the league, but it wouldn't have, and did, and now has signed with the pot. I think he signed with the Padres too, did he? I think <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He did, he did because everybody else yeah. did. Um, it's just that he's getting another shot at that and showing that he, uh, you know, again, I'm not showing, saying that he's necessarily a, a regular major leaguer, but he's at least a fringe major leaguer, and that's something, right? Um, so... To, for these guys to have been able to get a little bit of exposure and, and uh, make an appearance and and do well enough to maybe extend their career in baseball, whether it's major or minor league, for two or three more seasons, because you know baseball will likes to, to to rely on some sort of success, and he can say I have done it at the big league level. You know, hopefully that lets him do it at either, some level for quite some time. Um. Jason, your big surprise of the year, player what? Surprise of the year? Um, hmm. Well, I could go negative. Yeah, I could definitely go negative. I'm a pretty optimistic person generally, but okay, I will. I, I will because it's it is my answer. I was I was shocked to be honest at how bad Tyler O'Neill was. Mm. Um, and you know, I'd run a lot of numbers and, and listened to a lot of people and and looked at his stuff and really thought that if O'Neill was given enough everyday playing time, that he would be at worst solid. And, and I definitely thought if nothing else, he would, he would be driving the ball out of the ballpark and yeah, he had seven home runs. I think he led the club in home runs Miller with Miller, right. Uh, who also could be in this conversation a surprise, but. But yeah, O'Neill just was was a disappointment, and I don't think that anyone, including myself, who have looked at his stats, 
thought uh, or believed that he would have one of the highest curveball rates in the year uh, uh, among anyone. And that just, it's sort of like Carlson when he started, when Carlson started seeing changeup after changeup after changeup, he just fell apart for a while. And the same thing happened with O'Neill. He was actually hitting the curveball as well, but he was seeing them over 50% of the time. And it's almost like for a while there, he just, he just didn't know what to do. And that, and unlike Carlson, Carlson got to go down and reset. O'Neill didn't have that opportunity, and and that basically ended him for the rest of the season. I was surprised that that happened. I was surprised that that was the response that he had, and I still, I'm so surprised by it. But I still kind of find it hard to believe, and I, I expect him to bounce back because you know, I convinced myself that he could really do this. He could be a major league caliber player, maybe not a great one, but he could do it. He could succeed in this league. Well, exactly. I there was a surprise and disappointment questions, but we'll just combine them because that does seem to be the easiest way and, and do it that way. Alan, where do you want to go? Well, it's I agree with that, and it's uh, it was it's funny, it's tough to go negative, but that was my knee jerk reaction as well as when the question was asked. So I'll try to give it a little positive spin. One of my biggest surprises, and it's going to sound like I'm being paid to promote the Cardinals pitching on this one, but uh, but all the guys that that stepped up. Yeah, and really pitched well for him, including Oviedo, like we talked about. Gomber coming back from a lost season in nineteen to come back and be so steady and yeah, promising, yeah. and in the in season improvement of Ponce de Leon. Yeah, because there was times where Daniel and I were talking like this is just not going to work out for this guy. Well, then he comes out and yeah, he doesn't last long, but man, you, he's eight to ten strikeouts to start, and that says a lot, you know. But I just felt like. Their pitching had to be great, and it was to get them where they were. I mean, it 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 obviously exposes their weaknesses of of lack of power and lack of doubles, which I desperately wish they would go find somewhere. But I was surprised by how well they pitched, and even some of the guys that we had just basically heard of, basically Oviedo of, hey, in a year or two, this guy's going to make some noise. We heard more about his body and all that as far before his pitching, and next thing you know, you know, he's taking some starts in some big games. Yeah. Yeah. There's, uh, you know, a lot of things that can be listed here. Um, you know, Alex Reyes staying healthy uh, is, is sadly a surprise, a very pleasant surprise. Um, and to be effective as well. I mean, there's, you know, Alex Reyes may not have looked like the Alex Reyes that we thought, you know, four years ago, but definitely looked like a very good major leaguer. Um, and a lot of, a lot of different, you know, Brad Miller coming in and like I said, then turning into your leadoff, your uh, cleanup guy and, and hitting seven home runs. Um, but I don't know if there's a bigger surprise than Max Schrock's perfect inning on the mound. I mean, <laughs> you know, yeah, you know, we, it, uh, <laughs> at least, at least we had that, um, <laughs> for 2020. Yeah, the Cubs well. got a secret weapon on that. Yeah, they did. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> He, he's going to take over for Darvish. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, we have this acquisition of the year. I guess it really would boil down to, and, and Jason, I, if you got a different one, let me know, but I guess it boils down to Kim or Miller uh, for the most part. And which, I don't know, which way would you go on that? Uh, Kim, definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, they, the, you know, one of the things the Cardinals have done, put a lot of effort into is, is international scouting. 
And and that's what that's what Miklas was. It's what Kim was. It's what O was. Was a scout and sign, mm-hmm. and those were risky. And they've gotten a lot of production out of doing that. So, so yeah, I mean that to me, Kim is is not only a credit to his own ability, but to the Cardinals' entire process in overseas scouting. And yeah, it's 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 the front office move of the year. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's tough to argue with that. Yeah. Yeah, they've obviously come up with something for overseas, right? Because I mean, that was you know we when we were there last year, Alan. Um, well, at nineteen, um, that they were talking about how excited they were about Miles Michaelis because they knew they had something in Michaelis with the scouting they'd done over when he was overseas. Um, to then follow that up with Kim, just uh, they really feel pretty confident. It feels like in their at least pitching, as we saw that they didn't necessarily they were in the mix for what was his name? Uh, the short, yeah. Yeah. Uh, shortstop, I think. Yeah. Uh, the shortstop out of, out of Japan, but they feel like they've got a pretty good comfort level, at least with pitching over uh, out of the Japan and Korean leagues. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. The uh, I've always, I'm more of a proponent of the, far east pitching because i feel like you have a year of the books not out on you and you you know you have yeah. a little bit of slack mm-hmm. to succeed i'm not i the, the position players have not performed well over here i felt like they may have dodged a bullet on that yeah i agree and it seems like the like well with kim's contract for example kim came in he could have been a starter he could have been a lefty specialist reliever he could have been a closer, which I thought yeah. was an odd move, but um, and they gave <laughs> they gave it one try, uh, but um, you know, with with a hitter, it, it's kind of you, you know you don't want to pay someone to be a starter and then they end up being your utility infielder. Um, yeah. but that doesn't seem to be the case with them. There's more range of outcomes for them, and it's a safer safer gamble. Yeah, true, true. That's awesome. All right, the last one is most anticipated. Cardinal um in the last few years that's been pretty much dominated by Dylan Carlson but of course Dylan Carlson made his debut so he's no longer anticipated he's actually here so Alan who out of the people that have not made their Cardinal debut yet uh are you the most excited about uh you know what the name that I keep that keeps coming to mind on this is Zach Thompson just because he has he's the college pitcher who I think is going to be kind of like Walker and he's going to be advanced. And I think he's going to be advanced pretty quickly. I know we hear a lot about Libertor. I feel like he's probably a year behind. I think we could see Thompson fairly quickly, and I look forward to that. I, I think that the reason you can't, I don't necessarily go Gorman in a situation like this is just because I think the year is going to hurt him so much to where a guy like uh, Healthy Thompson, after playing collegiate baseball at a great conference, I think that you're going to see him quickly. Yeah, um, Jason, what do you think? Well, I, I I think I'm glad you mentioned Thompson because I don't I don't feel like Thompson gets um, the conversation that he deserves. He was ahead of Liberator. Um, now whether that's maintained or not, that, and that's where, that's where I come into this is, is that mm-hmm. I, I'm not saying you guys are, but there's a lot of people out there, a lot of people that I respect who are, who are sort of discounting what happened in 2020 at the alternative training site, um, as is basically a lost year of development for these guys. 
And and I look at Gorman and and Liberatore falls into the same category. Now Thompson, as you said, was more advanced coming in, but but Gorman was already had experience and had half a season at Palm Beach high level A. And 2020 was supposed to be the season where he advanced and got a full season at at double A. Mm-hmm. Okay, so instead of doing that, he had a full well two full months of spring training basically between the actual spring training and then the summer camp, right? And then he spent three more months in Springfield. And at every step of that level, the competition that he faced, even though it wasn't necessarily live competition all the time, the competition he faced would have been higher than what he would have seen all season at Double A Springfield. Mm-hmm. He was facing he was facing Chris Mutt. He was facing Tyler Webb. He was facing Reyes for a while. These are these are more mature, skilled pitchers. Um, and, and so if you think about that, in some ways, what Gorman had last year was four or five months a, against triple A, or if you want to say four A quality pitchers. And so a couple months ago, or a couple weeks ago, I guess at this point, when Mosaic mentioned Liberator and mentioned Gorman as two players who had made the most progress um, over the summer, that to me, plus what they're doing with Carpenter at third base and talking about platoons, that to me signifies that Gorman might be closer than we think. It doesn't mean he's going to be 100% ready. Carlson wasn't either. But but it does mean that he might actually be able to start the season at AAA. And anytime you're a prospect of the caliber of Gorman and you're sitting there at AAA, you're a candidate for the major leagues. And you're probably going to see yeah. some time at the major leagues. So, so Thompson's a great answer. Um, but I'm going to go Gorman and I'm one of the few, I've had a lot of people push back at me, but I'm going to go out on a limb and say that there's a decent chance that Gorman could be up platooning at third base by the all-star break. You know, you make a great point about something that I hadn't thought about. Not only was he stuck in what could be deemed a prep school, yeah, big league ball to where that was much more beneficial. He had a full summer with Okendo. He did. And that may make a, that's a pretty good point. That's a real good point. Actually. I didn't think about that. Yeah. I mean, what he lost was the, the competition, the Eden game competition and how other pitchers would adjust to him at double a, but what he gained was the best coaching the Cardinals have to offer for a full season. And the fact that you can develop without your body getting worn down of a 140 game season is probably beneficial as well. Yeah. Right. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. It's going to be difficult for us because we don't know, much about that alternative site. Like no, said, we know nothing. Yeah. Plenty of, of coaching and, and all that, but you know, were they really able to simulate, you know, game situations as well or whatever? You know, there's so many, you're right. There's a lot of positives of seeing better people, but the negatives of not necessarily doing the repetitions. Uh, who knows? I mean, we'll yeah. just have to see. And then, you know, we have talked to I started this show talking about we don't know when the the major leagues will start playing. We right. have no idea what minor league ball is going to yeah. be. Yeah. I mean, because they are so even as baseball has taken them on this year and we can talk about the pros and cons of that some other time, but you know, unless major league baseball is going to severely subsidize these guys. And obviously that's not something they really want to do. Um, these guys, you know, they have to have pretty much a hundred percent capacity to open. Yeah. So I, I, you know, at least if they're going to have fans, cause they're not gonna be able to do much otherwise. Um, I don't know what that looks like. You know, I mean, are there empty stands and they play the games or are they doing alternate sites until June or July? I mean, who knows? Um, and that's going to throw a lot of a wrinkle into things as well. So, yeah. Um, as for me, I, well, one, I also realized I'm apparently 
again, I give Kyle grief about mispronouncing names, but I'm terrible at it too. Cause I was going to say Liberator, Um, and I don't know that that's, <laughs> that's right, but that yeah, was, I'm not going to argue one way or the other. Yeah. 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 Um, but, um, that's probably who I would put just, you know, again, we saw Rosen right in the off se- in the, in the postseason. It would be nice to maybe quiet that conversation a little bit. Um, and and see see what we've got in return um that said if he comes up and isn't quite ready then that conversation just gets louder so maybe that's not a a discussion you want to have yeah um but i agree both of those guys are are very thompson and uh this thompson was one there was some real real strong chance it felt like that he was going to make the team you know when we were talking about july just because he is that advanced um it was a little bit surprising Although I just don't think they had the forty-man room to add him, um, that he didn't make. Yeah, his debut I, I think too. They were. I think that's why guys like Chris Mod and Kaminsky and others were promoted over him is that they they felt like if they had to cut Kaminsky, mm-hmm. they could. Whereas they they're not going to cut Thompson. Right, right. I mean, there was forty-man roster management is is difficult. In it was the story of the season in many ways. But yeah, uh, to to be able to do that. Um, is really something for John Mozeliak. So had a little bit of a, you know, that little gap with being able to put people on the COVID aisle and not count. But even so they had to come back at some point and that made for some, some really interesting things. So, um, and uh, you know, again, partly because there was no season this year. Um, I don't, and, and I, you know, haven't watched Kyle as much as I probably should have. And he hasn't done as much because there has been no season this year. I don't know that I've, feel like I have a real good as as good of a feel for who is on the cusp as I yeah. normally do this this time of year you know uh, Thompson Libertor Gorman the big names you know, Oviedo would normally be in that mix but we have seen him um some of those guys we know but you know you know are we going to see you know, I mean, of course it was very interesting to see what Walker and and uh yeah Pence hence Tink, I remember his first name. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Mason Wynn. Mason Wynn went uh, yeah. to the to the camp uh, in Springfield. You know, or it could be interesting to see how those guys do when they get into a full season and stuff. So, yeah. um, I don't think the cupboard is bare. I think there's some interesting players coming up. We'll just have to see if any of them reach superstar level, or if there are more of the, you know, the complementary players the Cardinals have been developing for quite some time. Um. All right. Uh, yeah, we're at the end of that. If we want to look forward, Jason, if you were to make one New Year's resolution for the Cardinals, either John Mosellock or the front off or ownership or a player, um, would you have one? What would that be? I know I'm just kind of springing that on you, so maybe, maybe yeah, it's not fair, but what would that be? Um, well, interesting. Um, I, you know, I think, um, I, I really do believe that they need another starting pitcher and, and the caliber of that pitcher actually doesn't really bother me that much. Like uh, Wainwright, I think would fit really well. I think, I think, uh, Alan, you mentioned the innings, you know, gap that they're going to have this year. I expect that no one's used to throwing 200 innings. And even if the season shortened 140 games, 130 games, they're still going to have to pitch more than they did last year. Um, I, I would like for them to to consider their actual needs uh, in the rotation and provide some more reliable production there. And Wainwright could easily be that guy. If they don't think the, that he is, 
um, or they think he's too expensive, which I find extremely hard to believe. Um, well, I don't even know who, who they would go to at this point, but they need another starter. Alan? I, I would like to see some finally get over the we have a, a wealth of outfielders that we can try and dedicate their time to someone, mm-hmm. uh, whether that be Carlson Bader and a fourth outfielder, considering Fowler is yeah. the age that he is, and move some of the other guys. Um, don't be hesitant or risk averse to trading some of these outfielders, which I think that they're going to be yeah, they, uh, yeah. with a Rosarena deal. Yeah, they um, mm-hmm. I just wish they would be dedicated to a to a certain outfield, whoever they deem fit. I just wish they'd go with it instead of having the sixth, seven in limbo. I think, and it kind of goes a little bit with that. I would like them to be more, I don't know what the word is and the best way to put it, but basically more intentional with what their plan is. Yeah, uh, and yeah. more right to it i mean because i've seen some people and i don't jason may have been you may have been ben, uh, you know some idea of you know for for years we knew what the cardinals were trying to do you yeah, know that was ben yeah yeah and and now we don't really no we can't really commit to it except for saving money i mean because you know for a while there they always wanted to be they never wanted to spend a whole lot of ton of money but they were spending what they could and they you know there were times where okay you have these players we're committed to we're not going to you know outfielders coming up we're not going to go get a Bryce Harper don't necessarily agree with it but we can understand what they're doing but now again everything's up in the air for for various reasons but it feels like none of us really have a firm commitment of what the Cardinals want to be um and I'd be nice if they could at least make some some moves that would show that plan. Um, you know, whether it is, you know, locking down Yachty and, and Wayno and, and say we're doing one last ride with the old guys. Yeah. Uh, or or something. Whatever it is, just do it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Jason, glad to have you. Well people can find you at Viva Albertos. Um, do you have anything Recently, you want to talk about that you've written or something that's coming up that you want to promote? Yeah, um, today, uh, it's it's uh, New Year's Eve here. Uh, I'm not sure when the podcast will be published, but I've got an article that I think I'll, I'm trying to write more optimistically because there is some good news out there about the Cardinals. There's a lot of bad a lot of bad talk going on, but there is some mm-hmm. good news out there too. And so I've got what I feel like is a really optimistic piece uh, coming out today about Dylan Carlson that digs into some of the expected stats um, and, and then some of his production by pitch type, which indicates um, that he, he should have performed better last year just based on the way he batted the ball. And, and that looks really good going forward. So a lot of optimism about, about Carlson and it should be a really interesting uh, read for a lot of your listeners. I like it. I like it. It's always, you know, we've been following, Carlson for quite some time yeah. at the blog in here. So it's, it's good to, to see that he may uh, take that next step sometime next year. Um, Alan and I'll be with you again in the new year. We've got some, some people we're going to get and join us like Jason did today. Um, we haven't necessarily locked all those down, but hopefully we'll have a, you know, the last couple of years, we've done a pretty good job. I think of in January, having some guests to come on and, and talk about things even uh, in the slow time. So hopefully we can do that again coming up in January. And then hopefully by February, we actually can start point counting down to, uh, to something, something happening. So until then, uh, for Jason and for Alan, I'm Daniel. Uh, good night. Good night.
Thanks. Shooter from the belt to the plate. A swing and a miss, and that's a winner. That's a winner. A World Series winner for the Cardinals.